0: This is Bloomberg Crypto,
1: a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. Yes, I know it's Saturday, but we're here to offer you, our listeners a special audio-only version of a new weekly video series called Crypto IRL. That's IRL like in real life. And it's hosted by friends of the show, Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. This is episode five. If you want the full video experience, head over to Bloomberg.com QT or check it out on YouTube.
2: Check this out. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
3: I see by Matt Levine and I feel pretty excited right now. Why are you excited? I love Matt Levine and well, I, like, I really like his brain.
2: I got a surprise for you. What's that? We got Matt Levine. We're going to be talking to him.
3: That's huge for us. Right now. And the audience.
2: Matt Levine, it's good to see you. Good to be here. We've been really excited about doing this.
4: Me too, I guess. <laughs> so thanks for doing this with yes, us. thanks for having me. This. Yeah.
2: It's I, this is everything.
3: It's a little bit exaggerated because that's single-sided. It's
2: single-sided, it's single-sided but, yeah. but it's big. It's it's big. I've, yeah. I've decided I'm going to call it a treatise. Yeah. Is that okay?
4: That is okay. Okay. I can live with that.
3: What about a tome?
4: Tome is like a little bit insultingly about how it's long, but sure, it's a tome. Okay. It is long. Okay. okay, I can't deny it
3: let's talk about how long this is and how it should be read because i found it very educational like as i was reading it i felt like i was learning there's a lot of things i know about crypto i like to think a lot but i feel like perhaps sort of the fine shading was missed out like i don't understand necessarily everything i know and this helped to fill in some of the blanks but how should people read this is this a textbook is this an article should i read it start to finish
4: Ideally. No, look, I mean, the way that I thought about it was that crypto is, like, big enough as a topic to produce, you know, that much paper. But <laughs> it's, like, relatively a small topic. It's, like, everything in crypto, for the most part, has been invented in the last, like, 12 years or so. And so what you can do is start from the beginning and kind of... Um, logically develop all of the things that exist in crypto today. So that's what I tried to do, and it's not it's not quite as not quite as easy as that. But like the idea is, that you can sort of start if someone knows nothing about crypto, you can start by saying, well, this is like what Bitcoin is, and then you can sort of look at Bitcoin and say, here are some generalizations of that concept. Here are some ways to take that in different directions, and that's what I tried to do here. So you don't have to read it start to finish because like, it sort of branches into different directions. Mm-hmm. But the idea was to kind of start from nothing and develop more or less the system of crypto that exists today.
3: Matt, you have a line pretty early on. I read the whole thing, but pretty early on.
2: <laughs> you keep saying that, like you're saying that in a way that's like that's
4: yeah, like I really. really I
3: did text Tim <laughs> that I was having weird deja vu to college for like my partner has done the reading, but I haven't yet finished the reading. <laughs> but Professor, I did finish the reading, and I liked this line that. I don't have strong feelings for or against crypto. I like finance, and I like that you wrote that specifically for me. That's what it felt like because it feels like crypto is sort of this market structure experiment and launching yeah, like an asset class get built in real time. And I wasn't around when like Bill Gross was inventing bond trading or something like that. Like I haven't seen this before. And it's fun to sort of watch and cover. And I feel like that's where you're coming from in this piece.
4: Yeah. And a lot of people would disagree with that and say, no, it's not a financial market structure innovation at all. Mm -hmm. It's building a new web or it's, you know, it's not about the money. It's about the tech or whatever. Right. But I, you know, I have my doubts that that is true to some extent.
3: Okay. So talk about people leaving TradFi, going into crypto and how crypto is taking a lot of Elements of the traditional finance system and just cryptoizing it. But I mean, you use the phrase in the piece ingesting the traditional finance system. You have tokenized stocks, you have decentralized exchanges. Is that a worthy enough goal for crypto? Like, can we just say that's enough that we've created this parallel system and it works and that's really cool? Job well done.
4: Enough for what, right? I mean, I think that would be, I think the people who are are on Twitter a lot talking about how crypto is going to change the world would be a little disappointed if crypto, if the end result of crypto is making the financial system more efficient. Mm -hmm. But I also think a lot of people got rich and crypto would get even richer if that that worked out, right? Mm -hmm. And I also think that, um, you know, the financial system is really big Mm -hmm. and it supports a lot of real economic activity. And I think there are, many places where it is inefficient and some places where it is, you know, dangerous and has, you know, a recent history of causing catastrophes. And if you improved those places by 5%, like that would be like a really meaningful contribution to the world. I think that most fair observers would say there are some real advantages to the crypto system in terms of like, particularly sort of like speed of innovation. And then there are some real disadvantages in terms of often speed of innovation and like ability to like, you know, exploit things. And mm. uh, and also like the sort of permissionlessness of crypto makes it a little bit more attractive to anonymous, possibly criminal actors, right? But um, so there's real problems, but like, uh, if you think that it's a better way to run a financial system, like having a better way to run a financial system is really valuable with a giant financial system.
3: And I guess that's my question. Like that seems like a pretty respectable feat. Like we made the system more It hasn't efficient. like happened yet. You know? Yeah. Like,
4: like I think that like people in crypto would say the way that we trade crypto is way better than the way that we trade stocks in terms of like anyone can sort of access the same exchanges. There's like less of a divide between institutional and retail traders. Um, if you want to build something, if you want to like write a new derivative contract, it's sort of like a flatter hierarchy where you don't have to like sign up and is ISDA with JP Morgan um, and, uh, and everything just sort of like works and settles a bit faster. So I think like people are real sort of gung-ho about what yeah. they have built. Um, has it ingested, you know, the loan market or the stock market? Like not, yet. not really and like, you know, I, I say, like, there, you know, there was in 2017 a real vogue for banks to say, we're going to move loan trade into the blockchain. And, like, you don't hear that anymore. Not because they did it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, bank blockchain projects that mm-hmm. turn out to be kind of vaporware or, like, are always a few mm-hmm. years in the future. So uh, I wouldn't say it's happened yet, but, like, I think that the crypto people would say that we have a good system for trading stuff, and let's trade more stuff on that system. And I think that they are having success in persuading some people in finance that, in fact, it's a good system to trade.
1: This special audio-only episode of Crypto IRL will be right back with more from Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenevich. If you want the full video experience, head to Bloomberg.com slash QT.
2: I want to talk about trust, sure, because that's a big part of crypto and it's a big part of of your piece. Yeah, I was pretty fascinated with the idea that we live in a world where we kind of take trust for granted. That when we open up our banking app, the money that we see in there is actually ours. Right. There's this tension though, because crypto is trying to build out this kind of trustless system where everything is verified, but at the same time, you do have a lot of well, I don't want to say a lot, but you do have a handful of bad actors out there who have gotten away with, at this point, taking a lot of people's money.
4: It's more than a handful.
2: More than a handful. Yeah.
3: A lot of crimes.
2: It's, it's, it's weird. There's so much bad stuff happening in a place that's supposed to be more trustworthy than the traditional system.
4: Is it? I, I, yeah. I mean, this is the thing I talk about a lot. I mean, I think that um, one thing I would say is that in traditional finance, like you trust that your money is in your bank account, and I could probably articulate the sort of mechanisms by which that trust is like fair, like it's like reasonable to trust that the money in your bank account will be there. But I'm not sure that everyone could, because it's a thing that you can kind of take for granted, where you can say the banks just give me my money, and it's just like empirically trust like reliable enough that you just go around trusting it. And in some sense, what you're trusting is not the bank but like the background rules of society. You sort of expect the rule of law to work. You expect the government to sort of do its job. You expect people to try to comply with the law. You expect there to be laws that say the bank has to give you your money, right? Like you don't even, you don't like check these things off a checklist. You just kind of like go around trusting these things. In crypto, there's sort of like two different aspects to it. One is that you could verify everything, or not everything, but like like there are large swaths of crypto where everything is kind of verifiable, right? Where there are like, you know, open source algorithms and like verifiable, you know, proofs of things. And you can prove that your Bitcoins belong to you on the blockchain. And most people don't do that just the way most people don't like sort of read the, you know, banking regulations before putting their money in the bank. But there is a notion that all of those proofs are openly available to everyone in a way that isn't really true of traditional banking, where like in traditional banking, like at some level, what you're trusting is that a bank examiner has gone into your bank and made sure that the money is there or that the auditor has audited the financial statements. In crypto, everything can be verified by you. You don't do it because that would take forever, but like you trust the system in a different way. You trust the system in a way where you're like, if I had to, I could prove everything. Um, so I think that's an interesting development. Um, and it's like it leads to trust it leads to like people who trust the system rather than verifying everything but it leads to trust from a different path than the way we do it in the rest of society We're so used to banks working that a lot of people get into crypto sometimes just because they want to make money sometimes for philosophical reasons and they like they don't like trust but they're still so used to that background principle of trust that they see an ad for 18% returns on their savings, and they're like, well, that must be fine, right? Like, how could that go wrong? It's advertised on a website. And the website looks good, as you read. Yeah, like, like <laughs> you know, I think there is sometimes an attitude of like, someone would have done something about this if it was fraud, which is, you know, a very traditional finance attitude that is very much not the sort of like, uh, like sort of front page attitude of crypto, but seems to have crept back in anyway.
3: And so, I mean, how how could you possibly do due diligence then? I mean, because there are, you write about how there's incentives, like miners, for example, have incentives not to completely, you know, nuke the whole system because then they lose money. Um, But for the average person coming into crypto, like how do you do that due diligence in the absence of trust?
4: I think it's hard, right? I mean, I think that there there are people who, spend for whom it's like a hobby and you spend a lot of time familiarizing yourself with like the code and the algorithms and sort of get comfortable that like you can demonstrate that most of the stuff works. And then you're often using like kind of DeFi and you're trying to avoid, like you're aware that you don't wanna trust anyone. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to avoid trusted central counterparties, right? There's a lot of people in crypto who are basically trying to minimize their contact with like trusted central counterparties. The other way to do it is the way you do it in any other business, where like, you try to find the trustworthy, trusted central counterparties, right? And like, you know, crypto is sort of mature enough that, you know, not to advertise like Coinbase, but like Coinbase is a U.S. public company, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, that, I don't know how effectively they're regulated, right? It's still early mm-hmm. for everyone, right? But like, if you're a U.S. investor, you might say, I'm going to go to like the biggest name that's a public company, where like. The Guy lives in America and doesn't want to get arrested, you know, and then you, you know, you're hoping for the best, but you're what you're doing is trusting the same background principles of, of like, you know, sort of the rule of law and society that you trust in a bank or mm-hmm. any other, you know, company.
2: But sometimes people who work at publicly traded companies go to jail.
4: Hmm. Oh, yeah, they're not 100% reliable. <laughs>
3: You talk about crypto being a pretty broad umbrella here, and I feel like that we've been talking mostly about the financial uses of yeah. crypto, but also under that umbrella is Web3. Sure. And you make the point that you know there's not a lot of ways where crypto touches like the real economy or yeah. people's lives, but it feels like Web3, theoretically, oh, yeah. there's potential there for crypto to actually affect my day-to-day, but you take a pretty skeptical tone to it.
4: I think that a lot of the, I don't know. I just like the use cases that people are excited about do not make me excited. You know, it's like you can. What
3: are those use cases? Well,
4: I mean, like, I, I don't want to like parody it too much, but like, you know, you like buy a sword in a computer game and then you own the sword <laughs> and you can go to a different computer game yeah. and bring the sword or whatever. This right? Does, does he get your blood pumping? But does he know
2: like the stuff you did in college?
3: <laughs> Which <Did> you,
2: <laughs> uh, you like. What, didn't you play with some metaverse animal or something? Oh,
3: my God. No, we're talking about Neopets. No. Like, well, okay. So I, for example, to talk about myself, the center of my own universe, I started playing Neopets when I was 11. I still occasionally interact with the game. I played it a lot in college. Like that, I don't know. That was as sort of a metaverse. Uh, yeah. I could imagine that being on the blockchain and more integrated into my life and identity and...
4: Yeah, I mean there's there's like I want in the piece to take that seriously because I think that like leaving aside neopaths or any particular thing, like it Mm -hmm. is the case that in my lifetime, like when I was born, almost none of my life occurred on the internet. And now like a lot of my life occurs on the internet in different ways. And so like if you are building if you're trying to extract value from building systems from the for the internet like that's a that's like very broadly speaking like a growth industry right mm-hmm. and so like if you say people are going to be living more in the metaverse in some broad way where they're going to spend more of their time online like 20 years ago i would have said i don't want to like hang out with my friends like by like show, like sending them pictures on a social media website I want to like hang out with my friends in person and now like I just like people's photos on Instagram, you know? Like um like it's just true that like more of life has moved to the to like the internet broadly speaking. And so that is like a uh a place where like the easiest access point for crypto to sort of like affect the world is like on the internet. Um, that said, it's not clear that it's like easy, right? It's like your neopets weren't on the blockchain. It's not clear that they'd be better on the blockchain. Mm. right? So like there's still like, even if, you're, even if your case is like the metaverse will be everything, like that doesn't prove that like crypto is going, like the blockchain is going to be the sort of like underlying engine of the metaverse, right? Is, is part of your skepticism about this web three label Due
2: to the fact that there are so many projects associated with Ponzi's?
4: Yeah. And I mean, this is not the only thing that happens in Web3, but like a really important element of crypto and like Web3 is that a lot of projects have their own tokens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think very explicitly in terms of tokenomics, where your thought process is not just, let me build a good product, but it's, let me build a product, distribute tokens tied to that product to the users of that product. And then they'll want the token to go up, and so they'll use the product more. And so it is hard early on to disentangle what's a good project from what is a project that has done a good job of hyping its tokens. And uh, it's not just that some projects are Ponzi's, it's that like being a Ponzi is sort of baked into the nature of like, a lot of what is going on in like, the sort of like, uh, crypto token economy.
3: So with that in mind, I mean, obviously the word Ponzi has a lot of negative connotations, but-
4: One thing that I think is fascinating about yeah. crypto is that there are people who are like, enthusiastically embracing that label. Yeah. And are like, no, no, Ponzi's are how we're gonna build a lasting well, business. So a and I
3: don't project. think it's crazy. Right? Yeah, well, like, maybe it's not a bad thing.
4: Right, like, it's, distasteful and it like makes it hard to evaluate projects because like you have both the Ponzi element and like whatever's actually going on. But it's not wrong that like giving people economic incentives early on can like draw them to projects that turn out to be good and that mm-hmm. can make those projects viable. Like I think it's a it's a reasonable and like very funny thought to have and that has become sort of like normalized in crypto. Um, If
3: I could have put real money into the Neopets Ponzi early on, I absolutely would have. I would have bought all the Neopoints tokens.
4: Right, and like, you know, like, were Beanie Babies that in like an analog age?
3: I would have spent a lot of money on them. Luckily, I was like four, so I wasn't in control of my purse strings.
4: But the problem
2: with that is that in order for those to be worth something to you, you have to sell them to the next Katie Greifeld, who's, you know...
1: The next gullible little girl. This special audio-only episode of Crypto IRL will be right back with more from Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. If you want the full video experience, head to Bloomberg.com slash QT.
3: Should we talk about regulation? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of different ways we could get into it.
2: I was thinking about it when you were explaining trust. And I think a big reason that we trust banks is because regulators, as you write in the piece, like there are people who regulators go inside these banks. Right. They know what they're doing. Right. They kick tires and search for things and make sure that everything's up to snuff. Yeah, I mean, that's a somewhat optimistic Picture, but yeah, that's right, basically true. Okay, and that by extension makes it so we trust banks in a way that crypto firms aren't necessarily backed up. Oh yeah. So, what's missing from the regulatory puzzle here?
4: Everything, (laughs) (laughs) everything. Where should they start? Right, like it's very hard because crypto is so, like so much of crypto is philosophically opposed to regulation in general. So much of it is cross, like it, like from the get go, is very cross border. So it's hard to know uh, who has jurisdiction. Um, even in the U.S., like there are sort of these very sterile debates about what crypto tokens are. Are they are are they secure? Like which tokens are securities? Is the SEC in charge? Is the CFTC in charge?
3: A lot of um, letters.
4: And then like obviously, a lot of stuff that happens in crypto is a substitute for banking, which is not really the SEC or the CFTC. It's, it's for It's for like the Fed and the OCC, And that's a much sort of higher level of regulation. Like that's the examiners coming into the bank and making sure that everything is is, is working properly. Whereas the SEC is more like, if we find some fraud in your financial statements, we'll go after you. Um, and like all of that in the US is like incredibly early on where the SEC is jousting for jurisdiction and going mm-hmm. after some of the most egregious projects and some of the less egregious, but like more obvious projects. Um, and bank regulators are putting out papers about how stablecoins coins should be regulated, like banking, but like not really doing it. Um, so this is very, very early on. And uh, I don't really know where it ends up, right? Like I think that a lot of people in crypto like think that crypto has built a system that obviates the need for regulation. Mm. where are like, Uh, DeFi protocols are trustworthy because you can read their code and if they're not because the code gets hacked that's good because it's like adversarial hardening of the system and like eventually they'll get better Um, and you have uh, this like openness and censorship resistance of like the blockchain that makes it just a better system than a system of national regulation. A lot of those people by the way Uh, are thinking internationally about regulation and think like, you know, there are countries that are like generous to crypto and allow a lot of like innovation. There are countries like the US that are sort of down on crypto and try to um, restrict it, you know, supervise it more closely. There are countries that sort of ban it. And then there are countries that like, have repressive governments that will take your savings, right? Mm. And like, if you're in like, if you're sort of like in the crypto world and sort of country neutral, you're like, saying that regulation is good is like not obviously true, right? Like there's places where national regulation would be bad for me, right? For like, for, or for fairness or for the rule of law. And so I think there are people who see crypto as being a more neutral rule of law than like some of the alternatives of actual law. My bias about U.S. regulation is that Congress is, is such a difficult time mm. legislating on con- on controversial topics, and like it's hard to imagine a comprehensive crypto bill being passed. Not impossible, but hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of like sort of ad hoc regulation by enforcement and the SEC saying this is a security and we're going to get you for fraud. I'm probably being right about most of those things. Um, I just I think it's like it's going to be much more. Messy and ad hoc in ways that are uh, probably bad for crypto.
3: Matt Levine, thank you so much.
4: Thank you for having me. This was fun. I had fun. You had fun. I had fun.
3: He had fun. All right, let's go. We should accomplish. Yeah.
4: Matt Levine had fun with us. I feel like that's
2: like I don't know. We should include that.
3: that. We should include that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Want to see these episodes of Crypto IRL in video? Check them out on Bloomberg Quick Take at Bloomberg.com slash QT or find Katie and Tim over on YouTube. Just in time for Halloween. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, we're going to talk about brains. No, no, no. No, we're not. We're going to talk about zombie coins. It might still melt your brain. Don't say I didn't warn you. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter. We're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohammed Farouk and Sharon Barriro. Our associate producers are Tai Butler and Moses Undum. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend.